Hello, podcast listeners. This is Jared Pitney. Today's episode is with Giles Wright, who not only holds the world record for the fastest gun draw, but also survived a horrific plane crash where despite being trapped inside the crop duster for three hours with many broken bones, would experience a full recovery that not only allowed him to pursue a career in law enforcement, but eventually get back into flying full-time once again as an ag pilot. During our conversation, we talk about overcoming fear, perseverance, what it takes to be number one in the world at anything, and so much more. With that, here's today's episode with Giles Wright. I want to do this little slap. You want to do what now? I want to do this. I want to test this little. Oh, you want to let me get up here? Oh, you got to stand? Yeah, I got to stand. Yeah, I'll come over here. You're trying to get him at a disadvantage there, sitting down. So. Well, you've done this as kids. Oh, gosh. Huh? Like, you done this as kids. Yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, why am I so nervous? That's the first thing you got to do is get, you know, get your attention. Oh. <laughs> 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 I can do it left-handed, right-handed, whatever one you want. Let me try to get you. Let me try to get you. <laughs> oh. I got him, buddy. I got him. I got him. <laughs> All right. That was a lot of fun. Uh, what do you call that game? I sort of – you're right. You play it when you're kids. Just a hand slap game. I think it's just a hand reaction slap. I can't remember what we used to call it. but Is that is that legitimately how you trained for your fast draw competitions? It's not 100% how, we, how I train. I, I honestly uh, – we do. I do a little bit of that with my son. Uh, I, I've had uh, a reaction timer on uh, a computer where you mash the mouse when the light comes on, and huh. it gives you your reaction. And all you're trying to do is uh, basically is your eye-hand coordination time from the time it takes your brain to tell your finger to move. And that's... Uh. That's what we try to do. Mainly, what I do to pr- it's just practice three nights a week, shooting. Actually, shooting at my house. Of course, we don't shoot real bullets. So okay, man. When I think of fast draw, I think of uh, those old gunslingers like Wild Herb and Doc Holliday. Yes. So you're like a real life cowboy when it comes to the the gunslinging. Yeah, they, they we don't stand quite like they do. We have a if you've watched anything of uh, videos of me uh, pictures. Uh, it's a stance where we're actually leaning back pretty quite a, quite a bit. You're real real fast shooters to lean back and shoot. And the reason for that is get the gun out of the holster. Faster you get the gun out of the holster, you know it's time. Yeah. So, so I want to talk about you know, you're obviously a world record holder in the extreme fast draw. Um, I know you're currently a crop duster, which I'm super interested in. You've been a police officer. That's basically all I know about you. Um, tell me, are you from Paragould? I'm actually from Parkin, Arkansas, just okay. east of Wynn, Arkansas. Okay. And um, you moved here when? Are you, are you? We moved, me and my wife moved here in Paragould about 21 years ago. Okay. What and, brought you here? Uh, crop dusting. Got a uh, got a job out at Light Fontaine area flying. Uh, she uh, came here and became a teacher at Paragool. Okay. And What's her name? Christy, right? Okay. And then we actually about nine years ago, well, it's been ten now, moved to Pocahontas. She took a job there, and uh, we went up there and lived up there for eight years, and said, "No, nah, this is not where we need to be. We're moving back to Paragool." What did you like about Paragool? Uh, the people here is great. The city's great. Um, it just feels like home. I mm. mean, it feels uh, you, you just don't hardly meet a stranger here. Mm. 
I agree with that. So before you went into crop dusting, did you go straight from being a police officer to a crop duster? No, sir. I started out loading airplanes, washing airplane crop dusters when I was like 13 years old. Was your dad in that world? or My dad's, one of my dad's good friends was. And his flying service was actually right across the road from our house. Mm. So dad was like, you need it's time in the summer, get you a summer job. Well, like any kid, don't want to work for your dad. Yes. So I went over to the airplanes and started out washing and uh, the airplanes and hanging out over there. Next thing I know, I'm 16 years old with a private pilot license. Wow. So are you flying at 16? I was flying. I was had my li- I got my private pilot when I was 16 and got my commercial when I was 18. Your commercial. So explain that to me. Like when you say commercial, is that it just means you're able to fly with how many people? You're actually uh, legal to fly for hire. Is what a commercial pilot. Okay, likes. so it's but not it, about necessarily how many people. It's just you can right. now get paid for it. Right. Okay. So you said when you got the commercial win when you were when I was eighteen. When you were eighteen, but you were already flying. When did you start crop dusting? I started crop dusting and uh, when I was nineteen, and uh, flew over at uh, Leechville, Manila area. Had a bad accident uh, when I was twenty. Uh, bad enough it it put me out of flying for several years. Geez, so tell me about that. Well. I'm, Spraying cotton, a little small airplane, underpowered airplane, which was a normal airplane back in those days, and uh, hit some highline wires mm. and uh, and crashed. And uh, and uh, all I can say is the good Lord had other plans for me because I'm still here. So, man, I want to slow down on that story. You you said you hit some wires, like. Did you, I guess, didn't see them, or you, like, saw them, and you're like, I, I was lower than I thought I was and thought I was going to clear it, but I didn't? Like, how how that happen? It was actually two sets, and I missed the first one, and the second set I forgot was even there and hit the wing tip and cartwheeled the airplane. And wow. so it was a pretty intense wreck. Yeah, I still remember the ride today. You still remember, like, hitting it and everything? Yes, sir. What yeah. was going through your mind? Like, yes. so you hit this. You said you, you clipped your wing and now you're almost like, like I'm like barreling or like literally like cartwheel like like cartwheel wing over wing, wow. And uh, I remember hitting the ground and uh, thinking this you know this is it. And I actually stayed in the plane for approximately about three hours before anybody found me. Man, we didn't have the cell phones and the radios we had today. Because this was what year? This was in 1990. 1990. So 1990. you when you're when you're spinning like that. When you're spinning like that, did time slow down? Like, do you, does it, when you look back at that, where you, know, you hear people talk about near death experiences and like my whole life flashed before me and all that, was that what it was like? Were you thinking, I can still get control of this plane? What, what was going through your mind? The, the first reaction was to try to control the plane. And then I guess instinct came in and, and it, I just, I knew it was nothing I could do. I, uh, Yes, it does slow down to answer your question. I remember seeing the ground, the sky, the ground, the sky, and the ground, and that was it, and a big boom. And uh, the uh, the impact was bad enough that I actually broke the seat out of the floor of the airplane, uh, broke my shoulder straps, I broke my, I busted my helmet in half. Oh. Uh, it was a, a pretty solid straight in hit, uh, the way it went. And uh, it's, uh, it was, it was pretty real. I broke my back and, mm-hmm hands and cracked a lot of stuff and of course now i'm in my 50s i, I can tell you everything that must have got hurt back then because it hurts when it's cold <laughs> Jeez, so you're sitting there for three hours 
waiting on Were you in and out of consciousness at that point? Yes, yes. And it was to the point to where um, I, I, I actually asked God to either get me some help or end it. Because the pain was that bad. Yes. And every time I tried to get out of the airplane, I would pinch a nerve in my back and, and I'd pass out. Well, then I'd wake up and I'm here I am. Now it's dark and uh, it's in October. So the temperature's dropping. Mm. And I'm thinking, I, I'm going to die right here in this airplane, which I, well, I was thankful that it didn't catch on fire. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. That like, was, how did it not catch on fire? We To this day, it, it, nobody knows. I mean, because it, 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 it was bad. And. I do remember back then we didn't have the air evacs like we have today. The nearest one was Memphis, and they I think they had only one helicopter. And uh, I remember laying there thinking, just just end it because I'm I'm of course I was bleeding and 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 I was almost bled out I think, and because I remember having to, to get blood and and all that, and uh, I remember hearing some footsteps in the mud, and the the farmer that I was spraying on had actually went home, and he looked out the kitchen window after eating supper, and he saw a red light flash, and he thought some kids was out in the field mudding with a four-wheel drive. So he goes comes out there to see what it is, where I'm crashed out in his field. And I remember him looking inside the airplane, and he said, Son, he said, uh, you need some help? And I said, Yes, sir. And he said, uh, I'll go get an ambulance. And I said, Get a helicopter. Because I knew I, I didn't have time to wait on an ambulance. And uh, I'll never forget. And, and flying in a helicopter for a for a fixed wing pilot, especially one after he's had a wreck, is like uh, you know I really don't want to get in a helicopter because they <laughs> they crash a lot yeah. too, you know. And uh, so anyhow, I remember hearing that helicopter coming, and then after that, I woke up in the hospital, and my dad looking looking at me, wow, and going, boy, I'm sure glad you're here. <laughs> God, um, man, so. You, I guess the day they took you to Memphis? He actually took me to Blyville, to Blyville okay. for uh, a little while, and I ended up before the 24 hours, I'm, I, I, I would assume. It, it was just like a day or less than a day. I ended up in Memphis. Okay. So, uh, and how long were you in the hospital total? I actually can't – I don't remember. I try. I just don't even think about it much on the, that time. But best I, I was in the hospital for, I think, about a month. And then I went home, and it was about a year and a half before I could really even get around and do something on my own by myself. And was that because of the back injury? The back injury, and then my I had an ankle injury, and then both hands, and and it's just it's uh, it was hard to learn. I had to learn how to do a lot of things again. So what was that time like for you? I it, mean, you at that point you were super active, still young, right? Like life ahead of you. And here are these, now you're barely able to get around. You got to be wondering like, what's my future? What's my career? What's my occupation? Right? Like the, the, the thought I had, I mean, that was all I wanted to do was crop dust. That was my dream. Um, worked very hard to get to it. And then all of a sudden, it was just like somebody yanked the rug out from under your feet and you can't get back up. And this is the end. I'm here. I am 20 years old, never Probably never crop dust again in my life. Uh, grandparents were still alive. Uh, they were begging me not to get back into it if I had ever if I got well again where I could, and that kind of led into the next chapters of life of me being in law enforcement. After I got back on my feet, um, helped a buddy of mine down at uh, parking with his flying service a little bit. Gave me a job to get back into you know uh, loading airplanes and 
just helping out with him. Uh, and then uh, I just uh, decided maybe that's not what I really need to do. Let me try law enforcement and see how it was. Yeah. And so uh, – What do you think kept you moving forward at that point, like of not throwing in the towel? As far as the flying man? Well, it? just as far as like, you know, you were you were all banged up and – you know, I think it's it's easy. I mean, all of us and experience hardship in life. All of us at times go through seasons where we feel like we've been broken, right? So not physically, exactly, and but even worse than that, a lot of times emotionally. You know, and so I'm just curious from your perspective, like how did you emotionally endure all of that, that trials and the pain? And I'm sure there had to be times where you're like, am I ever going to be back to normal life, right? So. What kept you moving forward, do you feel like, at that point? The main thing, I think, is I knew I was young. I had to keep going. You just can't quit. And, I mean, you still have to work if you want to make or be successful and do things. Things wasn't as easy as it is back then as it is now as far as people who don't work. And mm-hmm. um, I was raised up working, working hard. Uh, if you wanted anything, you worked. And that's mm-hmm. the way it was. And so – I had promised my grandpa I wouldn't get back into flying at that time. Um, Did you want to at that point? And other people were just. I, I really didn't for a couple okay. for a year or two. I really didn't even want to see an airplane. Honestly, I bet. And um, was there any kind of like PTSD or anything from that? I, I don't. I wouldn't say there is. Okay. I mean, I think when I fly, when I go to Manila, I, I actually crashed south of Manila, hit the, those big con- uh, cross country power lines on seventy seven. So when I go to Blavo or anywhere over that way and I see these big steel, oh, I still think about it. And I still have to fly around some of them. So every time, it doesn't matter, every pass, I think about it. you got to watch what you're doing here because this is the ones that got you. What was that first flight like? Well, I'm going to get back to the police officer stuff here in just a little bit. But when you finally got back in that seat and, and, and you took off, what was going through your mind? Well, my first flight after the crash was a probably about two – two years later and it was kind of a different way I, I probably should have went and flew with a flight instructor just to kind of or another pilot but one of my friends was a lawyer and uh, he, he was quite a bit older than me he actually farmed and I, I sprayed his farm and we became real good friends he came and got me one day and he goes that crop dusting it's all you ever lived and breathed he mm-hmm. said you don't want to be a cop forever mm-hmm. we got to get you back to flying and I'll never forget when we went to West. We went to West Memphis at the airport, which I knew the owners there. It's where I took all my licenses and and, le- and lessons, and even worked there some. And the owner of the airport comes in and says, "Well, what are you doing? You know, I'm like, need to rent an airplane. We'll go flying." And with no questions asked, handed me a key to a Cessna 172, and me and my friend got an airplane, and we took off flying. And I asked him, I said, "What are you going to do if I panic?" He said, "Well." At least you won't be going by yourself this time. Mm. And I said, well, that's, that's one way of looking at things. He said, you're going to be fine because that's just you. And we flew for, I think we flew for a couple hours and came back in and landed. Did it feel just natural? It felt natural because I had flown with so many, or I flew so many hours with the guy back at parking. It actually taught me how to fly. And we flew all kind of airplanes. We had we, we had World War II planes, Stearmans, the AT-6s, a TBM. He had a helicopter. He had several other crop dusters that, that I rode with him all the time in. So flying was just no big deal. Yes. You know, one cranked up, I was getting in it when I was a teenager. And um, so after that, it just kind of 
lit that fire again that you know one day i'm gonna crop dust again mm-hmm. and uh but i went through police academy and uh stayed at west memphis working and then a couple of years later a friend of mine at Osceola asked me to fly part-time just come up and fly a little bit and then it just kind of snowballed in 19 what did your wife say about that well I, me and her we wasn't married at that okay time, so, <laughs> so i was a uh, kind of yeah. single so yeah we uh, that probably helped a little bit my grandpa didn't like it <laughs> but he understood and he was an ex uh, uh, World War Two so or I'll say so he was soldier in World War Two with the Army Air Force, so he flew too. So he's like I kind of get it. I mean, he was not a pilot, but he flew in the you know with planes and stuff. And he said I understand. And if you have to get back into it, just be careful, you know. And um, so anyhow, I got back into it kind of part time for a couple of years, and in 1998. Um, we had a uh, incident at West Memphis shoot at a shooting. Uh, I was involved in and got cleared. And, and when, when I when you say you're involved in, what do you mean? Um, well, we had a, had a, a shooting, and I'm the one that did the shooting, and uh, and uh, we were cleared. I was cleared of the shooting and everything, and went back to yeah, work for a little yeah. bit. And they, I, I I just said to myself, you know, this working at West Memphis is great, and I had applied for the Arkansas State Police. And I said, if I got on there, it'd probably be, probably be better, you know. Uh, the pay wasn't great at all, which it's still not. Mm-hmm. These guys, teachers and law enforcement, ambulance, fire department, they do not get paid enough to do what they do. No. And yeah. uh, so so I I, uh, I had to make a decision. I was at a crossroads, and I had the opportunity to fly again. You fly or you keep the badge on. I took the job flying. Went to Seminole, Texas, flew out there that summer. That fall, the state police called and said, you need to report to duty in Little Rock Monday morning at 8 o'clock. So here we are. My dream in law enforcement was to be Arkansas State Police. Um, but my dream in life was always to be the pilot. Mm-hmm. And I, I told the guy that called me, and I said, I asked him what they paid. I can't remember the exact number, but I knew what I was making crop dusting. And when he told me what he was making in the Arkansas State Police, I said, I'm going to stay with flying. I'm sorry. I'm pa-. He said, you are passing up your opportunity. I said, yes, sir. I will not be there Monday morning. Mm. So, and, and that was what, what, you, what year did you say that was? That was in 98. 98. You talked about uh, police academy. I'm actually about to go through the civilian police academy. Be fun. Here in Paraguay. What tips do you have for me? What, uh, what, what is needed to be a good police officer? Well, all I, I don't know what it what it's like this day and time, but back when I was a police officer, all of my COs were ex-Vietnam veterans, and I hadn't been in the military, so I had, I got taught real quick to shut up and listen, <laughs> <laughs> and don't say nothing unless you're asked. So, do you miss any of that work at all? I do miss it. It it is an interesting job. You see a lot of things. You get to help a lot of people, but there's also that other side of it you get to see a lot of bad people and you have to deal with a lot of bad people were you working like um like traffic and all that kind of like were you just a patrolman yes sir um what is that like to be on that side of it you know i've 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 been pulled over i've not been pulled over in a long time by the way but i've been pulled over probably five or six times in my life um do police officers enjoy that you're not pulling somebody over giving them a ticket or is that well? I mean, I guess you could say some of them probably do, yeah. and some of them probably don't want to pull you over because it means paperwork. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is the best way to get out of a ticket? My personal opinion, I tell my wife, my son, anybody that asks me that question, first thing, be respectful and be courteous because the number one thing is he pulled you over for a reason. He didn't just pick out, hey, there's a blue Chevrolet car. I don't like blue. I, I don't yeah. like blue. That's exactly right. I'm angry. I got to take it on somebody. Yeah. He's already got some reason to pull mm-hmm. you over. Be courteous. Mm-hmm. Just yes, sir. No, sir. Answer his questions. And be honest, right? Exactly. Because I pulled point, you over. You have any idea? I have no idea. When, so, yeah. mm-hmm. when I was a patrolman, and if I pulled you over, chances are if you were nice, courteous, considerate, I would probably give you a warning. Yeah. But if you was not that way and I mean, you, you were really disrespectful, uh, you're, yes. you're going you're to get a ticket. Because if I pulled you over, I already had something for you. I yeah. had, a, you know, no brake lights or speeding or whatever it was. Yeah. So when that, you looked back at the um, the shooting you were involved in, we talked about, I asked you the question about PTSD from your, from your crash. <laughs> what about from the shooting? From the shooting, it took it took a long, long time. Uh, me and my wife's been married for twenty three years, and uh, she she remembers. And it was several years after that when we got married that the shooting happened. But she still brings up every now and then how much better I sleep at night. And because once you do something like it, there, there's no I can't even explain it. And uh, that there's nothing that'll match. And I'm not trying to make it make it sound good. It's nothing that will equal or make you feel like uh the person you are after doing or ha- even having to do that i mean it was justified i actually got shot at uh before i even had my gun out he just missed me and i don't know how he did it and um so didn't so you didn't see it coming it it was a surprise it, i mean when it happened it happened it was like a plane crash it happened so fast the beginning of it yeah so you didn't have time your body had no time your mind even registered you go like, straight into training you go straight into what you just taught. And that's where the training is so vital. And, and and I tell people today that ask me about shooting or uh, shooting guns, fast draw and all that, even back then I shot and practiced as much as I could. If I could afford a box ammo, I'd buy it and go shoot. I mean, shoot, shoot, learn your weapon. Because it's muscle memory, right? Yes, yes. And go to, go to classes. If you are a concealed carry and all you've done is went and got your concealed carry, that's not good. I personally think you should go through some kind of self-defense class mm. and do scenarios to where when you should draw your gun and when you shouldn't. Mm. Because my old captain always told me, if you have to draw that gun, you better be pulling the trigger. Uh, and if you don't, don't pull that gun. Did that? Did it? Did working that job in law enforcement change how you view people? I don't. I wouldn't say it changed the way I view people, but it changed the way I view my surroundings in what way most people who are attacked robbed on the street it's a sudden never saw it coming kind of thing and it goes back to the training when you when i'm somewhere walking the street i can look around and probably pick out one or two guys you might want to watch when you go by them and uh, i mean you can pick them out is it is it is it the people we would think like a normal person, like walking, like me, Chris, someone listening to this, like you talk about like there's, there's folks that kind of set off your, you know, spotty senses, so to speak or whatever. It's like, are they, 
usually the kind of folks that someone would look at and say, that's trouble just by look, or is it like, no, it's not necessarily even what you think you would look for. Like, I guess I'm just curious, like what, what triggers that in you? Is it how someone is dressed? Is it how they hold themselves? Is it, is it a look in their face? Does that make sense what I'm asking? It, well, it makes sense. It, it, I mean, it's a combination of things. And, and I guess just from prior experience in, in law enforcement, some people stand out more than others. And I, I don't really want to get into uh, probably pointing fingers at a yeah. certain person because sure. he wears a military jacket or yep. a certain person, yep. you know, that uh, his hair is biked. Or but there are things that even just, that you could look at. You can watch body, body language. how people react why is this guy standing in the street and he's been there for an hour just looking at everything by himself Ah. and it's 10 o'clock at night by in front of skinny jays or something is it is it that abnormal activity just begins to stick out to you more when you've been in that i would would say that yes yeah that's a peculiar behavior or whatever and it's not that you go on you know set the defense mode you just be aware sure you know what's going on sure yeah so kind of like defensive driving you know, yes. You, yeah, yeah. You got to watch what that guy's doing in front of you because he's, you know, if he's weaving or, I mean, he's probably texting or he's been drinking or whatever. Yeah. Something's going on. What do you, um, have you ever thought about the fact that the the two careers that you went into uh, as an adult both involved risk, pretty high risk and danger? Yes. What do you think that's about? It's just the adrenaline rush of things. Mm. I can tell you that right now. In the wintertime, like now, I, I, I really depend on Cowboy Fast Draw mm-hmm. to get that adrenaline rush. Mm. Uh, crop dusting, you're going to get it every day. Something's yeah. going to cause you yeah. every day. Is crashes common in crop dusting? Yes. Like how common, do you know? Well, um, roughly. There's 30, I think there's 32 to 3,400 of us in the whole United States. And that's a, that's a I'm, guessed, I'm guessing that. I'm, I think I'm pretty close on it all. Um, each year we'll have seven to 14 fatalities My gosh. and crashes. I, I think I can't remember the quite the number, but I'm going to say there's usually around 30, 30, 30 to 35 crashes. And are these and people who are reported. just starting out or are they like people actually just kind of got a little bit flippant it, and like, I've been doing it for a while or is it a mix? It's a, it's a mix. Uh, what I see in the ag world, there's a big gap between, uh, on age groups, you have the guys that's in their twenties, it's coming in, it's new, it's learning. You got a handful of guys that's in their thirties, it's not done it a whole long a uh, lot, but they do have some hours. Um, then you got the guys like me. I'm, you know, I'm in my fifties, and there's more of us uh, than there are any of them, and we've been around. And the old saying used to be, um, you know, if if you made it ten years in crop dusting, you done well but back then we ran the old engines that the old round engines that came from world war ii the equipment wasn't near as good so as even if today. you didn't hit something the planes themselves weren't as reliable yeah when i started exactly when i started we i flew quite a bit round engine airplanes and all they just go out on you or what blow cylinders engine quit i mean you just got to try to find a place to land you're talking about 1940 you know designs and stuff so or engineering versus our turboprop engines today which uh, uh, you know, there, I've had one of those fail, but the the amount of time I have flying behind one of those just greatly exceeds the round engine as far as trouble and engine failures and, and, and things like that. 
What is the hardest part of flying? Is it taking off or landing or neither? Uh, I, I, taking off landing is probably the same. I mean, in, in, our, in my line of work. Uh, the old timers again said nobody's ever left one up there. So, I mean, pieces you wanted in when you land, you know. <laughs> and uh, that's just no joke on that. But, uh, but seriously, uh, I look at the, the takeoff and landings. I mean, you're in pilot in command. Uh, the way you take off, where you take off, what kind of strip you work off from, all depends like on the wind, whether we have, you know, what we can give, uh, take off either way or if it's a one-way in, one-way out airstrip and you got a tailwind taking off, you might want to lighten your load, you know. Mm. Uh, same way with uh, with landing. Sometimes we have to land on these short strips with a tailwind, so you have to be uh, on spot when you land and, and get ready to get her shut down, so. But uh, it's not like working off an, a municipal airport, which most municipal airports we don't work off from. So mm-hmm. there, there are a few we work off from, and it's pretty nice when you get to go work. I work off Walnut Ridge Airport quite a bit, and it's nice because it's you know it's a mile long. Yeah, yeah. You know, so you got a little bit uh, bigger margin for error. A lot of margin for error. <laughs> so. so tell me about the fast draw. You're a world champion. How? Yeah, I've never met uh, a world champion in fast draw. So, so how did you get into this? I actually, um, when we lived in Pocahontas, um, about say it was eight years ago, I had a friend of mine come by and he said, uh, Hey, we need to go out here to buddy of mine's house. And, uh, he's got a pistol he wants us to look at. So we go out there and, uh, this guy's got, it's an older guy, uh, Billy Alphins, his name. Uh, we go out to his house and we're in his shop and I'm, they're talking about the gun and I'm looking at these targets and I'm like, these metal targets are on the wall. And I'm thinking, they had a black netting, kind of the, uh, like the netting you see at a tennis court uh-huh. uh, on on the fence, you know. And I'm thinking, what what's going on? So I walk down and look at it, and I start picking these wax bullets up. And they're wax forty five caliber bullets, and I've never seen them. And uh, so I go back and I ask Billy, I said, what's going on here? And he goes, man, you ever heard of Cowboy Fast Draw? I said, never heard of it. Oh, I mean, I've heard of it, but never done it. I've, I've watched Bob Munden on uh, the Outdoor Channel shoot. He shoots cowboy fast draw, and he holds a few world records of, of things. And um, so uh, he said, well, let me get my gun in the holster and let you try it. So me, having law enforcement experience, I put the gun on in the holster. I get on the line, and he calls the words out that they call. And then when the light comes on on the target, I pull the gun, but I go into the weaver stance, which is a, a squared-off two-hand stance, and shoot just like we were taught. Uh, the old military way sure. and, and law enforcement. And he's laughing. He said, that's not the way you do this. Uh, you, you, you've got to draw it and shoot from the hip. Like, you know, like Matt Dillon. I'll never forget him telling me. He's like, Matt Dillon. I said, oh, okay. I couldn't hit the target. And when I did, it was like uh, eight-tenths of a nine-tenths of a second. So he, uh, he said, what do you think about it? And I said, I love it. I, this is cr- I want to try this. And, of course, we're – crop dust so we're, we're all i'm off in the winter mm-hmm. and i only lived a couple of miles from his house so i started going over there on weekends and we started shooting and and then the next thing i know I, it it i'm ate up with it that's my thing that's my hobby that's what i love doing i mean i go to every shoot that our organization has as much as i can mm-hmm. and uh, and it took me several years to get as fast as i am now and yeah how fast are you now right now back then i would shoot a like say a, a point nine or a one oh and that's a that's one second 
And what we're doing, we're shooting a target 15 feet away from the hip. Uh, we'll have a caller at a desk, and they'll say, shooters online, shooters set. And when they say set, they're mashing a button. And in that, when they mash that button, a, a light on the target from zero to eight seconds, somewhere in that eight, zero to eight seconds, it's going to come on. Oh, when wow. It, when it comes on, a timer starts. Well, on the back of that target is a sensor that you have to hit that target. And when it senses that that target's been hit, it stops the timer. So I got down probably about three years ago, three, four, three, three and a half years ago, I got where I started shooting down in the four-tenths of a second and and hitting some threes. And uh, I had went over to, and shot another organization uh, in Kentucky in 2019, and uh, I won. I actually won the Kentucky State Championship over there. And my son was shooting the Junior Boys Championship, and we're down to, the, like, the last two rounds. And a guy, a friend of mine, comes over to me, and he goes, Hey, Giles, your son just won the Junior Boys Kentucky State Championship. That's and I'm cool. like, oh, that's more pressure I need right now, <laughs> yeah. you know. Don't blow it. He said, man, it'd be great if both of y'all won. Wouldn't that be great? And I'm like, It's yes, a cool sir. story. Yeah, it is. It's great. And I, I, of course, I didn't get to watch him shoot because I'm shooting myself. Yeah, sure. You know? and we're, uh, so, anyhow, I get up and I finish the two rounds. I win. So, me and him both in 2019 are the Kentucky That's State Champions. That's so Champions. cool. So, then I got a phone call about uh, another, another organization that they actually shoot a bigger target. And they, and they explained to me, said, hey, this, uh, this is drag racing. This is not dress up like a cowboy. This is not shooting the real small targets where you got to slow down kind of to hit it. And when I say small target, they were they were seventeen inch targets, round at fifteen feet. And we, I said, "Well, I don't know anything about it." And they said, "Well, here's what you need. You know, here's what you need to look up, and here's what we want. We want you to come join and shoot with us." Mm. So these targets are actually twenty inches wide and uh, forty inches tall. So they're quite a bit bigger. Mm. But the whole idea is they don't want you to miss. They want you to hit that target. They want it's like drag racing. They want times. They want. If me and you were shooting against each other, they want both of us to hit, and then who's got the fastest time wins. Mm. So I got into it and started shooting. Stuck with my old motto, the practice uh, uh, hit small, aim small, and hit small, which mm. is what we was taught in law enforcement. And uh, so I still try to keep that going today. And just as time went, I said, man, I'd love to be the world champion. I, I just That was my goal. You and feel like I, it was in your reach at that point, I guess. It it was it was close to being in my reach, and uh, the organization I was shooting in, it some things happened, and and I went to another organization to shoot, and and a lot of us went there, and a lot of us from the other organization all got together, and it is growing right now, and it's the Extreme Fast Draw Association, actually it's Extreme Fast Draw of America now, and. Um, so I started shooting it, and I went to the first shoot, and I won uh, Oklahoma State in 2022. Mm. And they said, man, won't you come to Amarillo and shoot the Worlds with us? I'm like, hey, And how man. many people were competing in these competitions? Uh, at that time, I think at the world shoot, we had 32 shooters, I think. You have to qualify, or can anybody show up? Uh, you can, at that time, anybody could okay. come and, and pay an entrance fee and shoot. Okay. And uh, so I went to I went to uh, out to Amarillo, Texas. We shot at the Big Tex, so you know we could eat and eat a steak, you know, and shoot and eat a steak. 
So we shot, and when I left in in twenty two, uh, actually twenty one is when it was twenty one. I was the uh, world champion, and man, that was like that was one of the proudest. That's like winning the Super Bowl to Absolutely. me. Absolutely. And I came home. What do they? What do you get if you win? Do you get like a pat on the back? You get a certificate? You, you get a trophy? What do you, you get? You get a nice belt buckle, like the oh, that's like nice. the there's a there's a a girl and her husband that make the uh, Shea Michelle's who who it is in uh, Texas that make our belt buckles. They're handmade. They're they're nice and, and they're you know pricey little yeah. belt buckle. Nice tro- and it's a big get, deal. You get cash, little cash money, and then you may win a holster. You may win a gun. It just depends on what the sponsors how much sponsors they have and, and what they have for prizes, you know. But it's always been pretty good, uh, I will say yeah, that. Yeah. And uh, so I came home uh, after that and shot and shot. In 2022, uh, lost the world championship. Mm. And I'm like, there was no reason for me to lose it. And I went through this period to where it was almost like a, a I needed it because I went back to – being hungry again. Mm-hmm. It was like, you're, you're, all right, I'm fed the nice steak. Now I'm back eating spam. Mm-hmm. And I, it's okay, but I can live on it, but I don't like it. Yes. And I, and I, you know you can get the steak. And I know I can do better. All I got to yeah. do is practice. All I have to do is work at it. And I worked and worked at it. And by then, my goal was also to break the world record. And um, I Which had, was what? At that time, the world record was like a – I think it was a two – well, I know it was. It's uh, 0.269 is what the world record was. And um, and that's tenths of a second. That's, that's That light going off 15 feet away, your mind telling your hand to pull this gun. At the same time you're pulling the gun, you're cocking the hammer back and firing the gun from your hip, and then the bullet's got to travel 15 foot to cut that timer off all within three-tenths of a second. And, um, and and we, I just got hungry and practiced and practiced. So when 2023 rolled around, actually in 22, in the winter of 22, uh, December, I had to have a knee replacement, mm. total knee replacement. So I I had that done December 27th, 22, seven, I think it was seven or eight weeks later, I was shooting Texas State and placed third place. And that's what, yeah, not, yeah. you know, knees. You're not just your been best, place, yeah. Not my best. And it wasn't because we had bad shooters. There were good shooters there. I was just determined to go and shoot. Sure. And then uh, I did, I shot another little, a small shoot in Kansas and actually ended up with food poisoning that Saturday night. Oh, and I no. had shot clean. I, I shot clean uh, nine rounds that afternoon uh, on Saturday, clean, and then uh, got sick and, had to come home. So I didn't shoot again. Crop dusting was starting to happen. I had to go back to work so I can afford to do all this. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, didn't shoot any any uh, events between then, and that was in uh, like March, around 1st of March, all the way to September. Went into September and won the world championship again. And we had, uh, I think we had close to, I think it was close to 40, maybe 42 shooters then, I think. And um, what did it feel like the second versus the first? It 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 was like a it was like a cleansing. It was like I mean it was actually like man, this is great. I mean, mm-hmm. it's great to win, mm-hmm. you know. And but the, the big thing I've learned about winning is also 
be humble. And I don't think I was real humble my first time. Mm. And I think there was some other things. And you got humbled the next year. I was humbled the next year. And yeah. now that I've won that this year, uh, th- uh, 23, I'm the current until September. We have the Worlds again in, in Amarillo, Texas. So, And there's a couple guys that uh, their name is there. They could beat me. They can do it. And uh, and if they do, uh, it's going to be a lot more uh, – I'll be a lot more excited about it. Let's put it that way. Why is that? It, it, it's the, the, it goes back to being humble. You, you know, it's not all about you. Uh-huh. It, these guys are my friends. Um, if you're not proud for them when they win, it'll get taken away from you sooner or later. I promise you. It's just the way it does me. Did the is the loss and what humbled you? I think it did. That and changed that perspective. I think that had a lot to do with it. But like, like I said, when I first won, I I want I don't want to. I was full of myself. I guess you could say when I won it the first time. And uh, actually, in my mind, I couldn't be beat. You know and. When you get that attitude, I, it, you, in my world, I, I've been humbled several times when I thought I was better than somebody else, and you, and you find that you're not. And now that it, it's respect for your other shooters, being still being humble. Um, does that allow you to enjoy it more? It does. And you have I, where I used to be so. My, my wife tells me I, I used to be so serious. People try to joke around with you. In, in your so I was so serious that I didn't find all that funny, you know. Now we laugh and joke. Uh, we even, you know, act like Monday Night Raw. Some of the wrestlers talking and stuff. <laughs> we, get, um, we talk trash on the line, and it's fun. And and if somebody you know beats you, just straight up beats you. I mean, I had a guy, a, a kid, thirteen years old. Uh, he outran me on a round uh, a couple weekends ago in in uh, Oklahoma, and I shot a. Point two nine one, I think, and he shot a point two nine zero, and the joy in his face, and, and it, I, I just found—I mean, it was nice to see. Uh, he, he's going to be one of those that he will be a world champion if he stays with it pretty soon, pretty quick. Do you think the humility actually even allows you allows you to perform better, or do you think it actually takes away from the performance? I think it'll take it away a little bit. I mean, there's a fine medium between that of you know, humbling yourself, not just being, you know, humiliated or, or feeling humiliated, but when I lost, I just felt like, I mean, here we go again. Everything, you know, I couldn't, my, my times weren't even good on my shooting. I was shooting three twos and three threes, three fours, and it was, I was struggling. And I normally shoot, now I'm shooting two nine, two eight, two nines and three O's. I mean, just normal. And, my accuracy was is, is double what it used to be, and um, it's hard to hit that target. A lot harder than what people think when you're slinging that gun out of that holster as fast as you are. You might have told me this. When did you hit your world record? Or when did you get it? I shot my world record uh, here about a month and a half ago down in uh, Mississippi, uh, Mississippi State, and I, I wanted to. Br- I broke the world record several times at home practicing. And warming up in the mornings before we have a shoot, I'm, I go out to the, the range right before we shoot, an hour before everything starts, turn on the timers, and I'll shoot 25, 30 rounds just to kind of stretch. That's my way of warming up, just like a backup quarterback at a game. He's back there throwing that football. Mm. Um, and so uh, I've, I've broke the record a couple times 
you know, which don't count. Sure. Uh, warming up and people, you know, they've seen it and they're like, man, you can do it. You know, you can do it. But when you get up in front of a lot of people and I've always had this problem uh, up until this past year, I get nervous. I can hear everything that yes. is said behind you. Yes. And if anybody says anything negative, you're like, you know, it's, it's just a downer, yes. you know? And then you start thinking about it within the light just went on on the yes. target and then I miss it, you know, man, performance anxiety, like that's a real deal. And, yes. and, and, um, you know, you think about like a, I used to play tennis. And so when I was in high school and I'm mean, asked to play some recreationally, but it's like, you will watch some of these world-class tennis players who are unbelievable. And they'll just like shank one, like a, a basic forehand. And it's just like, how do they, they've hit that, a million times yep. beautifully what happened you know I and mean, there's the human element but there's also i think like when you get all of a sudden now the spotlights on you like that really does something to you and it exactly. takes someone who could hit a world record and then you totally botch something all because of the pressure yes and i have broke the record before in a shoot but you have to back it up so in my instance the world record was a uh, 0.269 and i shot a 0.260 so now I've got to back this this up. And and in order to do that, I've got to back it up in less than three hundredths of a second. So I have to shoot a point two nine oh or below and in the next three shots to uh to back to make this legit. That way people can say, Oh well, he got lucky and caught the light just so like. hitting the world record like it didn't take pressure away. It added to it. Added to it. And that was my worst deal. Now, if I had shot like a, a two, let's use these numbers for instance. If I'd shot a, a 2.7 and then my next shot was a 2.60, I just broke the world record and it's automatically backed up. Mm-hmm. And that was my, that's the perfect scenario yeah. for me. That's why people don't realize like how incredible guys like Patrick Mahomes and like, mm-hmm. or Nick Saban, any of these people with Michael Jordan that, would win over and over and over and over because it you do get like like you said the pressure raises right the yep. bar raises it's like yep. well you not, you gotta do it again now like or it was just a fluke so know? when when we were in Mississippi shooting I was shooting I was hitting some two eights couple two sevens and I I knew that day was good that I knew I was shooting good I was on I felt good um I knew it there was a chance it could happen and. And it wasn't that I was trying to break it. It just happened. Everybody said, well, how, how, what'd you do? And I, I was like, it didn't feel any different than any other shot I made. I actually, when I shot it, I looked up in the scoreboard and it said point. I thought it said point two eight zero, but it was point two six zero. Because it's such a little margin. Like, it's hard yes. to be able to like, oh, I nailed that versus. Exactly. It didn't even feel like I shot that fast. And I, look, I heard my wife screaming, you did it. You did it. And I'm like, what did I do? And I turned around and looked at her, and you know, and she's like, she's pointing up, and she said, "You did it." I look back up, and I said, "Oh no, point two six zero. I did do it. I just broke it." That's so cool. And then, then what I like to do is just, just keep shooting, but you can't. Everybody wants to take the picture because once you cut that, once you wipe that off that scoreboard, it's gone. So they want to take the pictures, you know. So we're taking pictures. I'm like, come on, come on, come on, because this is my worst scenario. You weren't even able to really enjoy it in the moment. Exactly. So, and you can tell it in the pictures. I'm wanting to hurry up, see if I can. And I knew, I'm like, Doc, I don't know if I can back it or not. And my very next shot was a point two seven nine, and which is 200, you know, less. Than, 
uh, or uh, 19, I guess, hundreds. And um, and then my next shot was a 281, so it backed it again. So, it, I mean, it was back. And then later on in the shoot, like three matches later, or three rounds later, I shot a 265 and backed it with a 281. So even if that one hadn't have made it, my next the next time it was it had it too. So wow. it was being broke that day one way. I'm glad I got to 260. Did what felt better uh, becoming a world champion or having the world record? The world record, no hands down. And that is that because you can be a world champion but not really be considered the fastest. You were just the fastest that year. Among those people, During, but there's somebody faster than you yes, at some point. Yes, and now you can say literally, like among all the championships, all the people that's ever competed, like I am the fastest. Right now, I'm the fastest man. Right now, when was uh, the last time that had been broken? How long did the other records? Three stand? years ago, three and a half years ago, something like that, I think. So it's it's been there for a little while, and um, and the records you broke though is you said that so that was that the one that had stood there for three years. Yep, that's the one. That's okay, been three years when I broke. So. All right. And uh, and and I'm I'm one of these. In this time of my life, if if we, we we're going to shoot here in about three weeks in uh, Sanger, Texas, and if my record gets broke there, that's fine. Mm-hmm. If I just held it for 24 hours, that would been that's would have been huge. perfect for me, you know. But uh, hopefully it'll stay there. And uh, honestly, I'm gonna. Uh, everybody's like, "What's your goal now? I mean, you're the world right. You're the world champion. You're the world record holder right now. Current." I, What's your new goal? Because here is one of another thing in my life. I have found out if I do something, I have to set goals. If you don't set goals, you're not going to achieve anything. That's exactly right. And and you, some people may think your goal is just simple, or some people may think it's hard. It doesn't matter. It you have to set a goal to achieve something. Yeah, I can't remember who came up with this. Chris might remember, but uh, the idea of a smart goal. And so, like, not just goals, but smart goals, which are specific, specific measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-sensitive. And so yes. it's like, you know, if someone says, I'm going to lose weight next year, the chances of them losing weight versus someone that says, I'm going to lose 15 pounds by the end of the year, Yep, right? That was specific. It's measurable. It's attainable, right? It's relevant. It's time-sensitive. Yes. Uh, that person's got a lot better chance of hitting their goal and being motivated to continue towards hitting that goal versus someone's like, I just want to lose weight. Exactly, uh, and, you know, and and I, I also learned even in practice, you can burn yourself out in the sport that you're doing if you practice too much. Mm-hmm. I used to practice every, try to practice every night or every other night, and shoot fifty to a hundred rounds. Now I'm two to three times a night or a week, and I only shoot fifty rounds, and that's it. So um, if you were going to tell someone how to become a world champion, which is just crazy to think about, like world champion, and like you're the best. Like, how many of us can say we are the best in the world at anything, and you are that? How do you, how did you become the best in the world at something? And and not just in shooting guns. Like, let's apply this. Like, what are the things, the intangibles? What are the things that are, I mean, not intangibles is the right word, but what, what needs to be true about somebody if they're going to become the best in the world at something? Number one, you have to be honest, I think, in the beginning of where you're at. And then you need to realize and not make it a fantasy, but realize what your goals are and what is really obtainable. Okay, so you're looking at here's where the best is. Here's where I am. I'm going to be realistic about that. And now here's how I'm going to have to close the gap between here and there. Exactly. You have to. And, and, and my best advice, I didn't have this when I first started shooting. I didn't have fast people that I could shoot with, that I could talk to. And 
uh, say, look at, you know, videotape my draw at home and send it to him and say, hey, what am I doing wrong? I didn't have that. So it took me several years of to getting practicing and trying different things. I tried so many different hosters, uh, different draws, uh, any, anything. I a was lot talking, of failure, a lot of mistakes. A lot of failure. My wife, there's no, there's, I've shot thousands and thousands and thousands of rounds to get where I'm at today, and most of it was mistakes. I can tell you that right now. So you can't and be afraid of that. No, failure is that's part of winning. Mm. You're going to fail. You're going to fail way more than you're going to win. The number one goal in life, and it's no matter what you do, if you set your goal to do something, don't stop. Don't give up. If that road gets rocky, if the river washes the bridge out, you find a way to cross it. I mean, it. If your crop duster goes end (laughs) over end and you're in there for three hours, get well and get back in there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like like rodeo. You get thrown. I mean, I wonder how much of, like, when you look at successful people versus those who are not successful, I wonder how much of that, like, I think sometimes it's easy for us to look at those who are successful and said, oh, they were just made different than me. And there's maybe part of that. But I wonder how much of it is actually, you know, they weren't necessarily made different than you. They were just kept getting up after the, you know what I'm saying? They, they, they didn't give, they didn't quit. Right. They had the grit, right. right, to continue to press forward and bounce back. The resiliency is another word, right? It's thrown around a lot. But like, just kept on. I'd say a lot of people. And, I, I, and another thing, another example of what what you're saying here, when uh, when I first started uh, shooting, we bought the, probably the cheapest uh, cowboy fast draw legal cow, cowboy fast draw hosters we could buy, and they were like 125 dollars. And I've got a friend that's been the world champion, world record holder, in two organizations, and. Once you do that, you get sponsors, and people will say, hey, if I make you this holster, will you wear it? Mm. Or will you shoot this gun? Or will you let me work on your gun? Or even clothing. Uh, I've got a lady that's one of my sponsors that make hand makes my shirts in mm. uh, in Montana. Wow, that's and, cool. Yeah, I mean, it's and, uh, not the I, one I mean, you're wearing right now. Not the one I'm wearing right now, but if I got a pink shirt on, it's probably the one she made, so – when I'm shooting, and uh, I've got a guy in New York State that makes my holsters. He hand makes my holsters, every one of them, and he is almost six months behind in making holsters. But I can tell That's you this: cool. it's not the holster. It's like it, Michael Jordan can hit win a ball game by wearing tennis shoes he bought at Walmart. Mm. It's not the equipment. It, the equipment is part of it. I mean, it helps, but it doesn't make it, it helps. Yeah. No, you the person's going to have to either be good or not. And if you're not, you got to practice and you got to get there. If and, I was a world champion and I had a and fast draw, I would walk around with a gun holsters <laughs> everywhere I went. Is that how's that for humility? No, that's not it. Is it? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> that's not it. it. What do you think? I'll move us into some rapid fire, fast draw questions. That's what we're going to call oh, this. Fast, fast draw questions. The reason I'm rapid fire. How's that? The extreme, Contextualization. Extreme fast draw that. questions. Um, what do you think when you look back over your life, which is incredible, by the way, what do you – I'm trying to think how to, say, to, to, to narrow this question down and not make it so broad, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. How has it changed your perspective on life? I think I'll just ask it that way. So you have 
been in some ways you've seen some of the lowest of lows and you've had some of the highest of highs. Think about that. You were basically dying in a crop duster for three hours, thinking it's all over. You've been shot at. Um, experienced a lot of failure, but then you've also become a world champion, right? I mean, you, you're the best of the best of something. So you've had extreme highs, extreme lows in ways that, honestly, most people never have. It's very unique, the life that you've experienced and you've lived. Have you ever thought about how does that change your perspective on life as you look forward and, and how you just even live it today? It's, uh, it took a long time for me to look at life and, 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 and enjoy life and not worry and not be stressed out. Mm. And to be honest, we, in the past year, um, joining the Finch Baptist church, mm-hmm. um, knowing that uh, God has uh, put his hand on me to do something. And he has helped me uh, tremendously in the last year. And um, I thank him for that. I think... Uh, in what I'll, way? What do you mean he's helped it, you? He, believing and, and worshiping God and, and, and going to church, mm-hmm. trying to do right, trying to straighten up. And I'm not been the perfect person. Sure, no, yeah, and, I've only been uh, one perfect and never, person. And never will be. Yeah. Be perfect, but I'm a whole lot better than I was just not long ago. When you get to that point uh, in life, you realize what's not really important and what really is. And in my world, I used to think material things. Um, the more money I could make, the happier I'd be. Yeah. That's all false. Huh. Did you have to get money to to realize that? I I did for a while, and I had I, I did some things and had some nice things and did a lot of things I wanted to. I never did when I was young, and got to do them. But now I'm my main focus now is like uh, you know the shooting and 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 I gave up a lot of other stuff. But now that it's gone, I'm like you know I really didn't need that. I'm, I'm happier right now than I've ever than I probably mm-hmm. have been in my whole life. And I have less than I've ever had, not ever had, but I've 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 got less than I've had in the last uh, twenty years. And you think it's your faith? I think it's my faith. I think it's um, a lot of it's maturing finally, even though I'm in my fifties. Uh, it takes some people a long time, and 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 just sitting back and realizing that there's more to life than trying to impress somebody mm. or living for somebody else. Mm. Uh, if if you're not happy with yourself, nobody can make you happy. Yeah. You have got to get somewhere, find that happy place. How do people do that? If someone's I, listening to this right now and they're like, I'm not happy with myself, and I just need to change the circumstances, which, like you said, is not it. You know, what it, would you tell that person? Well, it's like the job. I mean, when I... When I, I if you have a job you're not happy with, there's no reason for you not to find, even if you had to go back to school, whatever you have to do, change that. Hmm. Change, if you're not happy where you're at, you're not happy with your income, you're not happy with where you live, don't just sit there and live the next 50 years there like that. I mean, find find something else 
that would make you happy, your job, your life, or, you know, anything like sports, anything. I, I try, if, if I don't, my job, I'm, I love crop dusting. Uh, I've slowed down quite a bit over than what I've done just three years ago. And the point of it, me slowing down was not that I'm getting older, it's that I realize I don't have to work that hard. I don't have to have that kind of money mm. to live. Like, there's mm. more to life. And I'm at that age now that I look at life as like uh, thirds instead of quarters. And I've already passed two thirds or getting at two thirds of my life. And that last third, I want to be where I don't have to uh, worry. And I, won't, I know I'm not going to be uh, in the physical uh, way or shape when I'm 70, 65, 70, as a lot of people who had probably a normal job that hadn't crashed airplanes and yeah. all that. And uh, so I'm trying to do the things I want to do right now. So when that age comes and that time in my life where I have to stay home and I can't travel, I've done what I wanted to do. So what would you say is the difference in what's most important now? What's um, changed? As far as where you were and where you are now, like what's the, what's been the change as far as in the order of just priority and, and how you're approaching your day to day? Right now, speaking right now, um, number one in life, you got to realize that, that, that God's number one. Mm-hmm. And that's something I never did. Uh, two is, uh, is my family. And uh, after that, in my opinion, nothing else matters. It sounds like you're in what uh, David Brooks calls you're on the second mountain. Exactly. And he talks about how the first mountain that we often try to climb is about our resume. And then the second mountain is typically about our relationships. And so another way I think he, he talks about it is the first one's about resume virtues. And the last one's about what he calls eulogy virtues where you're like, you're thinking about your character, those relationships, those kind of things that like right. what's going to matter the most right? when I'm on my deathbed, you know, and whatever matters the most then should probably matter the most right now. Exactly. And so for you, it's your relationship with God and your relationship with others, which you said is your family. Uh, right. So that's really, really good. It's Ecclesiastes, right? It all comes back to that. I tell people, <clears throat> we talk about Ecclesiastes a lot. I feel like on this podcast because it's my, it's my favorite book in the Bible. Um, usually if someone comes to me and they talk to them, they're skeptical about God and faith. I'll tell them, I'll like start with Ecclesiastes, read that book. So I think it's the most real book ever written, you know, and it's in the Bible and it's, you know, Solomon had it all, right? had all the money, had all the fame. He was the best of the best at certain things. And then he says it was all hevel. At the end of the day, it was vanity. It was Gave him a little bit of temporary happiness, but not joy and not fulfillment. And then he ultimately says, if you want to find it, you've got to look beyond the sun, right? He says, it's everything under the sun is vanity. So you got to look beyond the sun to the one who created all this. And like, that's where true joy and fulfillment and satisfaction is found. And then he says, if you, if you make God first, like you're saying is what your attempt is at this point in your life, you can actually enjoy his creation more. Exactly. Which is what I think you're experiencing even with the humility aspect of it is you're, you're just right size. And it's like, okay, like now it doesn't mean that you don't want to go do things like shooting guns and all that. It's right. just now you just don't, it's not your everything, which allows it to fall in this right place. And now it's more enjoyable. Exactly. I don't live and breathe every day knowing or dreading, put it this way. I don't, I don't go to bed every night dreading 
the guy that's going to beat my record. Yeah. Or the guy that's going to beat me at the next world championship because it's coming. Yes. I don't care how fast you are. I don't care how rich you are or how poor you are. There's always somebody either worse or better. Yes. Well, then that's why it's so important. I mean, and this is obviously those who've listened to this podcast before, they know that my day job is I'm a pastor. And I just think like, look, you're, you're going to worship someone or something. Everybody is, whether you consider yourself a Christian or not. And what I mean by that is like, you're going to look to someone or something as its ultimate. Like this is the most worthy thing in my life. This is the thing that matters the most. This is the thing that gives me uh, significance and security and satisfaction, whether it's your kids or it's your job or it's being the best at something or money, power, right? Approval of other people. And from my experience, anything that we worship, we put in the place of God. In the words of David Foster Wallace, it'll eat you alive. Yes, I've been there. Yeah, it will not free you, it'll enslave you. Exactly. And so that's great, man. Well, there's so much more that we could talk about. I want to move into our fast draw questions. Okay. So I'm going to pull them up my phone just in case I uh, end up getting in the middle of this and forget the questions. You would think by now I would remember exactly what they all are. Um, first question. What is the last show or movie you watched or last book that you read? Uh, that was uh, Tombstone right before I came on Man. today. I watched it as I was uh, getting ready to come here to the podcast. That's great. So then when I dropped the Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday reference earlier, you were like, I'm in it. Exactly. That's you. Um, are those guys, as, as you think they were as quick as what people are today? Or have no. we evolved? Now, it, it goes back to the draw, like we talked about earlier. Uh, those guys, Matt Dillon, Clint Eastwood, when they shoot, they're standing straight up. Okay. And they're drawing, most of them, if you'll notice, they've got longer barrel guns. And what You're you talking say, about the real-life cowboys back in the day. That's the way their guns were. Yeah, a lot yeah. of them had, had – yeah. well, we're talk, talking like Wyatt Earp and, yeah, yes, yeah. and the movies and stuff. And uh, – Honestly, uh, like Matt Dillon, we've had some guys that timed him shooting, and it's his, he's like half a second. So he's nowhere close to what I shoot. And I don't even know who. I can't, well, I can't, when you were saying Matt Dillon, I can't think of the actor. Gunsmoke. Uh, Gunsmoke. Right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Arnez. Gotcha. James Arnez. Yeah, okay. But even even Tombstone and stuff like that, you're, you're looking at a half a second draw and to pull the gun and shoot. Okay. So if you got in a gunfight with Doc Holliday, he wouldn't stand a chance. I don't think so. That may be wrong, but how many people can say that? You know, uh, but you just, look at him and say you're no Daisy. Yeah, he wouldn't. No scare Daisy me. at he all. Wouldn't, he wouldn't scare me. Man, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Tombstone is probably one of the most quotable movies. I think I can almost quote that line by line. I've seen it that many times, so uh, I'm totally tracking with you on that. Favorite band. Favorite band. Man, that's a tough one. You a music guy? Drive South. Never heard of them. Never heard of Drive South? No, I never have. Are they... Uh, it's your local band that plays all over. Seriously? Seriously. Are you in it? Nope. But I'm friends with them. Drive South? Have you heard of them, Chris? No, I'm looking them up. Looking them up? It's a local band? Lori Dow. Oh, okay. I know Lori Dow. That's your favorite band? That's my favorite band. They have an album? 
I have music I can listen to, like on Spotify or something like that. Apple. YouTube. Okay, YouTube. Excellent. Drive south. Plan teals. My apologies, Lori. <laughs> exactly. She's going to be calling you. No doubt. <laughs> going to be getting some hate mail. Um, <laughs> what would be your last meal? We're thinking about like appetizer, main dish, dessert. What'd be your, what would your last meal consist of? My wife's meatloaf. What are you going to eat with a meatloaf? You can't just have straight meatloaf. Green beans and mashed taters. There you go. Gravy? Oh, yes. What are you, uh, are you drinking? Like, you a sweet tea kind of guy? Soda, water, lemonade? Well, I was, but I'm I'm on that, uh, I, I need to lose about 15 pounds before I shoot. Next oh, just month. a glass of water? <laughs> so, <laughs> what about your dessert? Ah, uh, man. I love pumpkin pie. That sounds like a great meal to me. What is on your nightstand right now? Do you really want to know? Of course I do. Uh Forty caliber Glock and a lamp. The essentials. Same as me. Yeah, right. Same as me. That's what I expected a man like you to say. You did not disappoint. Uh, give us a snapshot of just an ordinary moment in your life that brings you great joy. Just an ordinary moment. Just an ordinary moment. That brings you some joy. My wedding day. Kind of ordinary. And also spectacular. But, Yeah. What about this last question? What is something that you're deeply grateful for right now? My wife. Excellent. Well, you need to come back on the podcast at some point because I feel like there's a whole lot more that we could talk about. Um, I'm really glad uh, that Brooksy is the one that reached out to me and, and recommended saying, yeah, somebody for the podcast. That'd be great. And she's absolutely right. I have very much enjoyed spending time with you so thank you for making space to be here i hope that uh we get to connect again in the near future thank you for having me i've enjoyed it all right Charles right has left the building never thought that i would be able to have a conversation with somebody who could beat doc holiday yeah and a gun draw quick guns quick guns quick hands very loud slaps of your hands too. Very loud slaps. Did it? But did you notice that I caught him? Uh, yeah, you did. One for one. First try. Yeah. And then last try. You walk away <laughs> after you do something like Stay that. Stay undefeated. You just walk away, man. Um, hey, if you're still listening, thanks so much for tuning in. If you've not done so, please check us out on different social media platforms. We're primarily on Facebook. Um, we're also on Instagram. Give us a like. Give us a follow there. And if you've not done so, whatever platform you're listening to this on, would you please just take you know five seconds and give us a five-star rating, whether you're on Apple or Spotify. What that does is just help people to find us more quickly and learn about the incredible people that are living right here in our community. So as always, thanks so much for listening. Until next time.